Well, join me uh, by opening God's word to the gospel according to Mark chapter 14. The gospel according to Mark chapter 14. As you turn there, and before we read this morning's text, I want to read to you from Peter's first letter. The apostle Peter, uh, we get to know him on the pages of the gospel account. And, uh, and we have a letter, two letters from Peter to first century Christians. And these are such important words from Peter. He says at the end of his first letter, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What sobering words, what serious words, what urgent words, and comforting words. And words like that and paragraphs like that are really all over our Bibles. And it's good to know where they come from. And what precisely, what place precisely those words might have come from. As we consider now Peter's story, the only story I think in Mark's gospel where it's really just Peter. This is Peter's moment. And this moment makes for something that allows Peter to write what I just read to you. Let's read together Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway And the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately... The rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Well, this morning we begin, as it says, below in the courtyard. Where are we below? What are we below Well, just above, in last week's text, Jesus was in a room under trial with Jewish officials as they sought to rally a crowd for a charge and evidence in order to fulfill a verdict and a sentence that they had already decided on. Their interest was to hand Jesus over to Roman authorities with all the Roman authorities needed in order to put Jesus to death. The Romans weren't interested in uprising. They weren't interested in revolutionaries. Jesus was being accused by 
his fellow Jews of making plenty of trouble. But of course, he was without sin. He was innocent. He was accused falsely in that trial room, and, uh, and he would be handed over. That's for next week. But for this week, the camera pans down to the courtyard. It's not time to hand Jesus over to the Roman authorities yet. No, we're down below in the courtyard. You'll notice that we've already seen Peter. We've noticed that Peter is in the courtyard. This is where the camera is now. But even in verse 53, which I accidentally began reading, if you scan just up a few verses, when they led Jesus to the high priest, all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting there warming himself by the fire. So, so Peter's been in range. And last week, Peter wasn't the primary focus. Jesus in this trial was. But Peter's been in the the context. Peter's been in the environment. He was watching what we heard happen last week. Last week, Jesus was on trial before officials. And this week, now with Peter, there is a trial of a different kind. Peter's name is the only name besides Jesus' name here. We have bystanders and we have a girl. They don't get a name. And when there are nameless characters, it is not always because they are, they are unimportant. It wouldn't make any sense to list all the bystanders. Uh, the point is, is that the focal uh, point of the camera lens, if you will, is trained squarely on Peter in this scene. Peter's gotten a good bit of attention in the gospel. He's almost, I think he's always been with others. Or two others along with Jesus. Peter, James, and John would be an inner circle of Jesus's. But in this case, it's just Peter. It's Peter out all by himself. All the attention is on him, even though he was trying to get away from notice. Well, why is this passage here? Why has this camera moved from that upper place where Jesus was, now down to the courtyard where Peter is? Why doesn't this just get a sentence along the way? It could have just gotten a sentence along the way. Why does it get this painful uh, to watch, painful to reflect on, painful to imagine Peter telling story of three three denials on the part of one of Jesus's disciples? Well, Peter, we know, would have stood behind this account. Jesus could have told the story, but Peter is the one that ran closely with Mark and from whom Mark got much of his material, as we've said. And we can imagine that Peter told this story. This was part of Peter's story. You may be thinking of something you've done in your life that was treacherous and terrible and, and an offense to our Lord and uh, something for which he died that is uh, grievous. And it can be all of those things. This is one of those moments. And uh, that, that can be part of your story. It is not the end of your story. It is not the whole of your story. It is part of your story. And God intends to use it to bring himself glory. So let's look, let's look at G, uh, Peter's story today. We're on the path, not exactly like Peter's. Peter was on the path of the cross. Jesus calls all of his disciples to carry their crosses, to follow him and to take up their crosses. And for Peter, that meant something fairly particular. He was in this lower courtyard on this on this day, and he had a moment at which he was to take up his cross and failed. 
But you and I are on the path with Jesus as well. And there are all kinds of ways in which we are called by Jesus in very specific circumstances. And you know your own circumstances to identify with Jesus and to be known as one who is with Jesus. And so as we watch Peter now on the page failing, we have ourselves a bad example in him, even as we have a good example in Jesus. And let let us ring this out for all the good that it can bring. All the good that Peter intended for it to be recorded. All the good that the Holy Spirit has given it to us for. How can we deny Christ in a moment? That's the question we'll ask today. How could we deny Christ in a moment? Almost like one of those how-to field guides. I'm putting this in sort of a memorable way. I'm going to tell you how to deny Christ. Uh, There are various books that pitch positive and important instruction in just the same way. And maybe this will help you remember it. Of course, my hope is that you would not deny Christ with this advice, but rather to understand the anatomy of an instant failure. Uh, Peter is not like Judas, who plotted his betrayal of the Lord. Peter failed in a moment, and he did not see it coming. He wasn't planning on this. And friend, there will be moments you find yourself in where everything's all right. You're going to church, and you read your Bible that morning, and then you're denying Christ. And I don't know what moment that'll be for you, but let us all be ready for a moment just like this, when the stakes are high, and our life is on the line, and and our quality of life is on the line, our reputation is on the line, and we heartily and happily associate ourselves with, with our Lord. Peter is known for uh, many instances in the scriptures. He was one of the first called fishermen who gave up his business. He was with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he saw Jesus transfigured and to radiant glory. But as it happens, this this three-part denial has ended up being largely his legacy. (laughs) Uh, Like I said, it's that only moment where it's just him and just the cameras on him, and it's a a bad moment. All the more reason to pay attention here so we can avoid losing our reputation for Christ and seeing our life and our faith crumble before us in a moment, which can happen. But to learn from Peter and to know that there is grace for people like Peter and like us. Let's get into it. How can we deny Christ in a moment? Well, first, if you intend to do that, keep a comfortable distance from Jesus. Keep a comfortable distance from him. We'll reflect now on verses 66 through 67. And it says, Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and put a question to him. Now, we know that Peter was following Jesus. If we go up a few verses, back to 54, uh, Jesus was being uh, led away, and Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest <clears throat> as he was sitting with the guards and warming himself by the fire. <clears throat> now, on the one hand, Peter deserves credit here. Peter was following Jesus. Who else is following Jesus at this point? not you. (laughs) We should probably, each of us, most of us, identify with the 10 who fled. One of the other disciples had snuck away and made plans to betray Jesus, and that betrayal has happened. But the other 10 just ran, 
ran and they hid. But Peter could have run with his fellow disciples. Peter could have found a place to hide, hoped that things would work themselves out. Maybe he'd go away and hide and pray. I don't know what those other guys are doing. We don't get the story. No doubt their heart rate is up. But Peter does the courageous thing. Peter doesn't run. It's the middle of the night. Peter figures out where Jesus is and tracks with him at something of a distance. No, he is the only one tracking with Jesus. And we ought to give him credit for keeping his word. You remember in chapter 14, Peter said emphatically, the scripture says, verse 31 of 14, but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So here we've got Peter, a leader among the disciples, insisting emphatically that he will not deny his Lord. And all the rest of the disciples say, amen, I'm with him. I'm not denying you either. I'll even go and die with you before I deny you. And here is Peter following Jesus, so it seems, to the end. He's the only one left. So the one hand, he deserves credit. But on the other hand, and I'm borrowing some of the imagery here, on the other hand, he is following Jesus at too comfortable a distance. I can't help but mention this indication twice that he's warming himself by the fire. When I first saw that last week, I thought, oh, that's interesting. It's uh, obviously the setting. He's warming himself by the fire. His face is aglow and you, now you know that it's cold out, so you get a sense of the, just the climate of the moment. That's even helpful, and the writer can put that in. But he says it a second time, down in our passage today. And seeing Peter warming himself, that <laughs> didn't say seeing Peter by the fire or, or just seeing Peter, but seeing Peter warming himself. <laughs> there's a, there's a, at least an inescapable contrast between Jesus' situation upstairs where he's being beaten on the other side of hours of false accusation. And Peter's situation in the courtyard where on this chilly night, he has the opportunity to warm himself by the fire. Now, he's about as comfortable as I suppose you could get given the circumstances. He's at a distance from Jesus and he's warming himself. But even if those details aren't there to offer a contrast, it is a contrast of context, there is certainly a contrast of threat. Jesus is before officials and Jesus knows all that is at stake and is on trial for his life. And Peter is being asked a question by a girl and bystanders, nameless bystanders. And uh, their situations couldn't be couldn't be more different for being so close to one another. Oh, it seems like there's a contrast being set up here. Peter, at least we can say this, Peter intends to follow Jesus, but in this exact instance, whether we find him by the fire or hiding behind a tree or whatever, Peter intends to remain anonymous. Peter is following Jesus but he does not intend to be identified with Jesus. Are you following Jesus, 
but without the intention of being identified with Jesus. Now, Peter is following Jesus, but not so close as to be associated with him. He's following Jesus. Now, this is to read him in the darkest light. He's following Jesus, perhaps so that Jesus will know that he's staying faithful. He doesn't want to run like the other 10. He's not like the other 10. Even if they all fall away, I will not deny you. There was a little something in Peter's voice which, which propped himself up over the others. And when the others say, no, 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 I'm with Peter too, I won't deny you. Maybe Peter's like Turk cocks his head. Like, what are you guys? Okay, well, I guess none of us will deny you, Jesus. But I especially, that's the sense that you get from him. He wants Jesus to know he was following and that he was with Jesus, but, but he doesn't want others around Jesus to know that. Peter wants to be close to the action around Jesus. He's confessing now that Jesus will suffer. He's watching it happen. But he doesn't want to be acted on on account of his association with Jesus. He is now seeing Jesus suffer and he means to be enraged to observe this but he does not intend to suffer with his Lord. So a simple question for you, friends, do people know that you're a Christian? If you identify with Jesus as a follower of his, if he is your king and he is your Lord, if he's the one who has saved you from all your sins and given you new life, and he has loved you so. Is that the 50th thing someone learns about you? This is not easy. Um, what, the things that we believe and the most deep things about us aren't always the matter of small talk uh, in the cul-de-sac or over the fence or over the cubicle or on the phone with a client you've known for years. But how long does it take for Christ to come up? I remember when I became a believer, uh, this is now many years ago, praise the Lord for having lived now longer than I did in unbelief, but when I became a believer, I remember some, someone finding out that I was a Christian and being so happy. I'm like, well, where are you? <laughs> you, had, you knew this stuff? I, I... So we're often hesitant because we're fearful of what, what people will make of us and uh, what it may cost us. And I can just testify that I would have loved for somebody to have risked a little social cost earlier in my own life to speak the gospel to me. As I say, in Crystal Lake, Illinois, where I, where I grew up before I moved to California, before the end of middle school, it's my personal biography bit now, um, I'm not aware of any Christian that I knew. I might have known Christians, but I just never bumped into an explanation of the cross. And so Peter is following Jesus, but he wants to avoid association. And I'm just putting to you, do people around you know? Do family, do friends, uh, do colleagues know that you're a Christian? Or are you following at a comfortable, at a comfortable distance? If you're following at a comfortable distance, you may be in danger of one day emphatically denying that you know him at all. 
Remember, uh, Jesus' teaching to his disciples. The apostle Peter had uh, answered Jesus' good question, who do you say that I am? And he said, well, you're the Christ. Bold Peter there with the first word. He's absolutely right. And Jesus commended him. Jesus began to speak about his coming suffering, and Peter said, You'll have, I'll have none of that, Jesus, and rebuked Jesus. And Jesus rebuked him, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Remember that contrast. And then calling the crowd to him with his disciples, this seemed like a good opportunity now to teach about discipleship. So Jesus' identity as the Christ is revealed, and now Jesus, in that chapter eight moment, now that his identity as the Christ is revealed, He reveals that he will suffer, and then he reveals what it will cost those who follow him. And ever since this point in chapter 8, we have been learning more and more and more and more about what it will cost Jesus and what it will cost those who follow him. We suffer for different reasons. He suffers in our place, and we suffer by grace because of what he's done for us. But this is what he teaches them at that point. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what can man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. That's a harsh way to talk about the world. (laughs) But apparently that's true. And apparently it's the generation's adulterousness spiritually and sinfulness that makes it difficult for us to speak his name. We're ashamed. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this generation of him, the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. Whoever would save his life will lose it. That's a hard word, but it's not without a beautiful promise Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And you can gain the whole world. What an investment that would be. You put a little in on whole world and uh, wake up the next morning and it's all yours, the whole thing. And you're no further ahead if you don't have Christ. So do people know you're a believer? If they don't, if you're following at a comfortable distance, it may be that you're not willing to lose your life to save it. And it may be that you're not far when that instant comes, when that moment comes. If you've been running the calculations in the background and then all of a sudden you're asked, you may not be far from emphatically denying him. Let's watch what happens to Peter next. He intends to be anonymous as Jesus suffers and bears reproach. He is in that respect ashamed of his Lord. Keep yourself at a comfortable distance first. Second now, protect your life at all cost. That's effectively what he does. He has only in mind uh, this physical life of his and all that it comes with. And he means to protect it. And at this point, even though he's several years deep with Jesus and has heard and seen all he has, he intends to keep his life at all cost. Now, we all run calculations to protect our physical life. I lock my door at night. I make sure the garage door is shut. Um, you know, the house we buy, the, the, the car we buy, and how safe it is, and, and a whole bunch of other decisions. And the job we're 
uh, pray for and seek out. All these things have to do with our, our life and work and provision and food and eating and shelter and safety and all of that. And all of that is, is good. It's even matters about which we should, we should pray. But Warren Buffett will have money in the bank when he dies and a body in the ground when he dies. So we can't forget where our life truly is and where true life is truly found. Peter didn't just tell us that he denied Christ or that he denied Christ three times and on with Jesus' story, but he slows down to give us his story. And so let's ruminate on it together. There's three denials here. Here's the first one. Verse 67, and seeing Peter warming himself, a servant girl came and she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus And but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Uh, The the words here chosen for seeing Peter are particular. She sees him, and you can imagine Peter warming himself by the fire. His shape of his face might be familiar to her. But she looked at him in the eyes. They made eye contact from whatever distance. Now, Jesus had been making no small amount of trouble and had himself a reputation enough to get arrested like he is because he had been in the temple property. He had been around with his disciples. Peter would have been recognizable. Good for Peter for showing up again. There would be people that he recognized. Not sure why he sat down in front of the fire. Must have been really cold. But she recognized him. She sees him. She looks him in the eyes. And then she speaks. And it's not a question. It's an observation, at least, if not an accusation. It sure would have felt like an accusation. You were also with the Nazarene, Jesus. And Peter denies it. You have to wonder what was going through his mind at the moment. He had to be sitting there thinking, please no one recognize me. Please no one ask if I'm a Christian, please. This little girl makes eye contact. (laughs) That was his first mistake. Don't look anyone in the eyes. Now this little nameless servant girl, servant girl of the high priest came and recognizes him and he denies it in an instant. I neither know nor understand what you mean. There's two words used here. One of the words for know and then understand is more of a theoretical knowledge. The other is a more practical, personal knowledge. It's, it's like Mark and Peter here has used these words to say, I have no clue what you're talking about. It's an emphatic denial. He'll get more emphatic if you can, he will. But it's an emphatic denial. It's a comprehensive denial. It's a, what are you even talking about? Not a simple No. Whatever had been going on in his mind, whatever little calculations he had been running, spat that out when that button was pushed by that girl. So what Peter does next, you don't need a polygraph to tell whether he's telling the truth or not, just watch him. This would be uh, your body language expert. Oh, he got up and left, so he must have been uncomfortable. (laughs) 
if he was just getting a set of questions and uh, there was no skin in it and there was no loss for him to have answered the way he did, there was no threat of being caught in some fashion, perhaps he would have just stayed there around the fire or not denied it so emphatically. I don't know or understand what you mean. And then he went out to the gateway. So he needs to get some more distance from Jesus. Maybe out here by the gate, I can still kind of hear what's going on in track. And when Jesus pops out, perhaps see him, but, but I'm, I'm less visible over here in, in the dark. But of course, it's exactly at that time the rooster crowed. And that should have us, just as it should have Peter, it should have our minds darting back only to earlier this evening, where in the upper room as they shared the Passover meal together and Jesus broke the bread and spoke of his body to be broken and poured the cup and said, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for many. They sung a hymn together and Jesus said, you will all fall away for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But I am raised up. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And Peter said, even though all fall away, there it is, I will not. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Oh, how distracted Peter was from even that memory hours earlier by his louder thoughts. Don't be connected with Jesus. You can't afford to be connected with Jesus in this moment. They can't know you're a Christian. The second denial is short. The servant girl saw him and began again to say, verse 69, to the bystanders, this man is one of them. So in this case, in verse 69, it's not that she's following Peter around, but it's that she sees Peter get up and leave. That's kind of a giveaway. Listen to how he replied. Now he's, he's over there by the gate. Hey, this guy's, one of, this guy's one of them. This guy came in with Jesus. But of course, at whatever distance he was, he heard them speaking. He made sure they knew that he was not in fact with Jesus. He denied it again. And now a third denial. And after a little while, so they gave him some reprieve. After a little while, the bystanders now, so now it's not the little girl. Things are escalating. There's more people involved. This is not what he wanted. What started with a comfortable distance turned into a question by a simple servant girl, turned into some chatter around the corner, has now turned into at least a small crowd, now asking him, you know, insisting, certainly you are one of them. And how do they know? Well, he talked and he's got an accent. For you are a Galilean. You see, Jesus and his crew didn't exactly match in culture and language and other things, uh, the normal crew around the temple. Uh, they stood out. Some of them were a little uh, backwoods. And Peter, being a fisherman, wasn't the typical type to be around the temple courtyard at this time. And he was recognized as a Galilean. It was a signature that he belonged to Jesus, and they've called him on it. But this time, he denies it more emphatically. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom 
you speak. And it's not that Peter was becoming crass and using foul language here. I suppose that would be one way to distance himself from Jesus. No, he didn't think of that. That might have been a little more creative. Start being uh, just absolutely terrible. No, in this case, best we can tell, he would have called on God's name to certify his own claim that he does not know Jesus. But again, he wants to remain anonymous and he's not comfortable, obviously. He can't even name Jesus' name. He'll deny him three times without even saying the name of his Lord. I neither know nor understand what you mean. And now I do not know this man of whom you speak. What are you even talking about? And he calls down a curse from heaven if he's found to be lying. Well, he's awfully committed to convincing these bystanders that he has nothing to do with Jesus. And I'll tell you that Peter did not expect to find him in this, himself in this position. Peter was bold in his loyal commitments to Jesus and, and he thought himself fully sincere and fully capable of keeping his commitments to even go to death before he denies Jesus. But Peter was a man with a weakness he did not understand. He overestimated his strength as a mere man. And even consider that Jesus told him to his face he would deny him. And Peter said, you're wrong about that. That's bold. But that's bold in, that's bold in the wrong kind of way. We should all be self-suspicious about our own weakness and our own frailty and ability to leave the faith apart from the grace of God. But in this case, the Lord had to do some work on Peter. Peter wasn't listening to the voice of Jesus. So he would get broken down one way or another if he was to be used later on. His following closely at a distance has led to an emphatic denial. And what explains this collapse? Because that's what it is. It's a total collapse. And if a building were to, to fall, we would inspect not external things, but internal things, what happened to the foundation, its construction. In this case, there are invisible things that explain his collapse. There are visible things like his, his behavior, his, uh, his emphatic commitment. What was it? It even said, he emphatically said, I will not deny you. Emphatically, I, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So we've got all of that, but the explanation for what happens here lies beneath the surface. And so how can we deny Christ in a moment? Well, by following Peter, we keep a close distance from Jesus. We protect our life, we protect our life at all costs and prioritize it over our souls. And third, we insist on our unwavering loyalty to Jesus. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now on the one hand, you and I should offer to Jesus 
our unwavering loyalty. But the problem with Peter, when Jesus was saying, you'll deny me, you'll all fall away, was that he was almost competing with Jesus for loyalty. I'm as loyal as you. He misunderstood his mere humanity. He misunderstood that Jesus was going to suffer and going to carry a cross. He said, the son of man must suffer. Jesus was going to suffer because we are sinners. He had misunderstood the difference between Jesus' suffering and the suffering that Jesus was calling his disciples to. We as disciples follow Jesus and we suffer for his sake because we fully know that apart from grace, we will deny him all the way. Take heed lest you fall. We have as a commandment in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, take heed lest you fall. He did not take heed and he fell. In chapter 13, you'll remember that Jesus spoke in cryptic and foggy and visual terms about what was about to happen in his death and resurrection. And you may remember the constant warning that he gave to his disciples, which Peter would have heard. In verse 32, but concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey, leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and he find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, which includes us, stay awake. And it wasn't much later in chapter 14, that we have Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane praying. He says, sit here while I pray in verse 32. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and keyword watch as he prays to his father. And he came and found them sleeping, it says. And he said to Peter, spotlight on Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came a second time and found them sleeping. Their eyes were very heavy. And he came a third time and said, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough, the son of man is betrayed. So you have three instances in which the disciples are approached by Jesus in Gethsemane. Interestingly, almost like there's music in this book, That middle instance is only just a quick repeat almost of the first. Just like, just like uh, Peter's trial uh, this morning, where in the second instance, there's just a quick repeat of the first. Three times, Peter was told with the disciples to stay awake, but they were found sleeping, not praying as commanded. And now three times, Almost poetically, tragically, Peter denies his Lord. And at the heart of this, when Peter hears this rooster crow a second time, 
What does Peter hear? He hears in his head Jesus' words, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And so it has happened. And at the heart of this is an explanation for how Peter fell and how you or I will fall in an instant. A life of faithfulness in following Jesus and in going to church and reading your Bible, gone in an instant, that is that pattern because of pride. And that's what it was. Peter was smarter than Jesus. And Jesus had told him to stay awake and he wouldn't stay awake. And yes, they were tired, but there was a moral spiritual dimension to that failure, a failure to heed Jesus's words, to understand the moment and a failure to pray. And therefore, when Peter, addressed by Jesus in the garden, enters into temptation, he falls. And pride, friends, is at the root of our prayerlessness. And this is why we pray as a church. Time and again in our Lord's Day service, it's why we meet for prayer once a month, uh, which will begin again next month, an evening prayer. It's why we pray in our shepherding groups for each other in specific terms. That's why we pray not just for broken ankles and surgeries. We can do all of that. It's why if we're healthy, most of our prayers by far are for help not to enter temptation. These are our concerns. This is Jesus's concern. And our prayerlessness or our half-heartedness in prayer is a sign of our spiritual pride. It's a sign that we may be following Jesus at a distance. It's a sign that we may be around the corner from emphatically denying him in an instant when put on the spot. So what to do about all this? Well, in the first place, let us as a church obey Jesus and get on our knees and pray. And let us ask the Father for help that we may not enter into temptation and when tempted that we may not fall. So when Peter hears the rooster crow a second time, he hears Jesus' words, you will deny me, and he is reminded of his own pride. And what else does he hear? Well, let's watch him. Let's watch what he does when he hears. He broke down and he wept. Now, here's the difference between Judas and Peter. For Judas, Judas's betrayal was premeditated and it was the end of his story, spiritually speaking. It was where he was headed. It was where he intended to go. And I'm not suggesting that you're safe if you fall in a moment. You may not be safe if you fall in a moment. But Peter's denial is different than Judas's betrayal. And I think there's something of instruction for us in that, even on the page, in that we know as readers, and the first readers know what became of the Apostle Peter, a bold herald of the Word of God, unashamed. I mean, just consider his words in the book of Acts to, uh, to, to listeners who themselves were guilty of crucifying the Lord one who was ashamed of the gospel, who was ashamed of his Lord. This Jesus God raised up, and of that were all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, uh, this day that which you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, and he's saying, this is Jesus alive and well. 
this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's a bold, that's a bold man, a transformed man. Well, something happened between the time Peter could look Jesus in the face and say, you're wrong. And when Peter can stand up and say those words to those who crucified Christ, he received the Holy Spirit, but we shouldn't discount this moment that we have just watched where Peter, who was proud and who also in a moment was ashamed of his Lord, was broken down by his Lord. Peter hears the words of Jesus, you will deny me. But he hears more than that. Because he breaks down and weeps, it's an indication that he is not remorseful in an ungodly way, but he is grieving as a true follower of Christ. Remember what Jesus said. Excuse me. Jesus foretells his denial Peter's denial, you will all fall away for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. In verse 28 of 14, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So right there in the moment when he's telling his disciples, we've seen this before, that they will all fall away, and that includes Peter. Uh, He's also telling them, but after I'm raised from the dead, I'll go ahead and meet you in Galilee. In other words, They are to remember, and Peter is to remember that even as they fall away and even as Peter betrays Jesus, Jesus had already planted words in his mind to be remembered in a moment like this. He would remember Jesus' words concerning the rooster, and in hearing the rooster, he would also remember Jesus' words concerning meeting them in Galilee. So Peter is more than, more than, Well, he is not condemned, he is convicted of sin, but he is in time restored. John will tell us, gospel writers give us a little bit of different angles on these, this little bit of information in different places. John will tell us that Jesus locked eyes with Peter after the the rooster crowed, and he had compassion on him. Our Lord had compassion on Peter. So whatever it is that's on your mind, a moment perhaps in your past, I'm preparing us for the future, but a moment perhaps in your past when you have in a moment denied Jesus and you haven't forgotten it. Well, God hasn't forgotten it either, even if he has forgiven it. But you can know that our Lord looked on Peter with compassion at this moment. And if you're his, he looks on you with compassion. And my prayer for you and for all of us in these moments is that when convicted of our sin and reminded in a Sunday sermon about our sin, that we break down and that we weep over our sin. And we remember that Jesus has compassion on us and that he suffered differently than us. He suffered in our place. He suffered to take our sins away. He suffered on the cross for that reason. Yes, three times Jesus found Peter asleep and reminded him to stay awake. And then three times Jesus, excuse me, Peter failed his Lord, just as Jesus said. And Jesus doesn't look at him and say, I told you, I told you, I told you, you would fail me. No, Jesus looks at him with compassion. And so he breaks down and weeps, not only from a broken heart, but from a a spirit whose pride has been broken 
and a man who has been made his Lord's. Look with me in chapter 16, verse 7. I've said that this is Peter's last scene in this gospel account. It is not Peter's last mention. And this is after the resurrection. An angel said to them, verse 6, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. And isn't that beautiful? That Jesus tells the angel in one way or another, hey, make sure that you say and Peter so that there's no question in Peter's mind that I intend to see him. And there on the beach in John chapter 21, Jesus will restore Peter to himself. They will talk, the two of them, now not separated by an upper place and a lower courtyard, but now the two of them on a beach. And Jesus will say, do you love me? Peter will say, yes. Do you love me? And Peter will say, yes. And a third time, Jesus will say, do you love me? And Peter will say, yes. So remember that when you think on your darker moment. The Lord stands ready to forgive you, and he loves you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this always needed word. Uh, One of the hardest moments in the gospel because of what we're watching happen to Jesus, but then almost equally as hard uh, to watch uh, one of his insiders, not so much unlike us, maybe more courageous than us, uh, deny him and show his disloyalty to his Lord. Father, we thank you that Jesus is ever loyal to us and he, he never breaks down. He never gives up. He never second guesses. He never runs a calculation in his mind as to whether this is, this is worth it or not, whether we're worth it or not. And so we pray now with Peter's words that we would humble ourselves under your mighty hand so that at the proper time you might exalt us. We pray for help to cast all our anxieties on you. Peter didn't do that in that moment, but he exhorts us to. And we thank you for this word. And we thank you for the reminder that you care for us. And that's why we can cast our anxieties on you. We pray for the Spirit's help the spirit that helped Peter to be sober-minded and and to be watchful, for we know that our adversary, the devil, seeks to sift us as Peter was sifted. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Help us to resist him, Father. And we confess and affirm that after we have suffered a little while, that you, Father, the God of all grace, who has called us into your eternal glory, will yourself personally restore us and confirm us and strengthen us and establish us. And it's for this reason that we give you all the glory forever and ever. Amen.